You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about some what I think is some really cool research that one of our partners up in North Dakota is conducting. If you're a frequent follower of some of our Ducks Unlimited media, social media, you might have heard about some of this involving Nest cameras and uh, some drone systems. So we're going to be welcoming in Dr. Susan Ellis Feligi, Associate Professor of Wildlife Ecology and Management from the University of North Dakota to share with us some of the details of, of her work. So Susan, welcome into the show and thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. What we want to do first, as we like to do with all of our guests, is give you an opportunity to introduce yourself and introduce you know, what you do there at the University of North Dakota. If you want to provide a little background on, on how you got to where you are uh, there in that position, then that's fine, too. But just tell our listeners a bit about you. Yeah, so um, I'm, as was mentioned, a, a professor here at the University of North Dakota. I'm in our biology department. So we're kind of a diverse department that has everything from the ecology side of things to molecular type stuff. And so it's a really cool place to work and opportunity for our students to get really unique experiences. Um, my specific work here, um, part of my job is teaching. So I get to teach the cool classes like wildlife management, um, you know, where students learn about actual management and how you put it on the ground. Um, we, we do wildlife techniques. So that's how do you look at um, actually assessing populations to figure out what status they're in um, and then how you then could bridge that into management. Um, as well as classes in ornithology and, and preparing students for a career. Um, so I get to do a lot of fun teaching and mentoring on that side of it. And then another big portion of my job is, is conducting research. 
Um, and in my research, I really like to integrate students. So it's heavily driven by undergraduates and graduate students at the center and heart of all my research projects. Um, I'm probably best known for research that involves a bird and a camera, um, which likely hits all of our topics here. But um, I've done a wide variety of, of research on a, a lot of different species, a lot of interesting things with predator-prey interactions. So, um, you know, who's eating the birds? And a lot of it focuses on the nesting ecology of birds. And so that's where um, I've gotten to really dive into waterfowl um, ecology with a, a focus on ducks here in North Dakota. And it's where my collaboration with Ducks Unlimited is and um, really terrific opportunities there. One of the questions that I'll ask you from my own personal interest, when you were coming up through the, through the graduate system, uh, graduate, graduate school yourself, did you study waterfowl uh, as, as part of your, uh, your studies? No, I actually didn't. Um, my work, my PhD was actually focused on white quail. Um, I actually did my PhD at the University of Georgia and worked out of Tall Timbers Research Station right there on the kind of Georgia-Florida line. Um, but it did involve cameras. And so we were interested in a lot of things about predator control and the effectiveness of that um, on promoting quail populations as well as who were the predators and ultimately some information about um, what was happening with, um, you know, just the general nesting ecology of birds. How do they spend their time when they're incubating um, how successful are they? Those kinds of questions that cameras can really help you answer. Um, I actually, though, ducks have been my heart and my passion since I was a child. Um, and, um, you know, from a, a standpoint, I started going out with my dad, tagging along hunting when I was 10 years old. And, um, and then I couldn't hunt in Pennsylvania because I grew up in Western Pennsylvania until I was 12. Um, but my dad, um, he had two daughters and he thought we'd be incredibly expensive um, you know, because we'd go shopping with mom and it turns out we were even more expensive than he anticipated because we both wanted Bedelli shotguns. We had a Chesapeake and a Labrador. We had quad parkas. We had two trips to Saskatchewan hunting. And so that's really where my, my passion started. And I learned about the prairie pothole region and, um, and then he took me out and I got to meet a waterfowl biologist and put a, a band on a duck when I was 13 years old. And then throughout High school and whatnot, I um, also helped volunteer with goose banding um, with the Pennsylvania Game Commission, and I was set. I was. I have a journal article, actually, when I was 13 after putting that leg band on that says, I'm going to be a waterfowl biologist someday, and um, I've never wavered from wanting that to be a, a large part of what I do. That's pretty cool. Every uh, Everyone in this profession has a story of their own. It often involves some childhood experience like that that you described. And um, so I appreciate you sharing that. One of the things I will say is that I was curious about your graduate study because whenever uh, you and I were first introduced to one another a few years ago, yours was a name that I had not seen in the waterfowl community, uh, at least in, in recent recent times. And, and that was that struck me because I knew you were doing waterfowl research and you were partnering with Ducks Unlimited on some of that research. And But I just kind of thought it was odd that well, I haven't really encountered your name before and encountered you at a conference. And the waterfowl profession is a rather small community. And so typically, a lot of the professors that we see and that are that are uh, that are focusing on waterfowl uh, research now have kind of come up through that uh, through that profession in the graduate system, you might say. And uh, and so the fact that you worked on quail as part of your graduate research would explain why uh, that would have been the first time that I encountered you. And so uh, anyway, I was just kind of curious about that. And so appreciate you sharing that. And that uh, so I wasn't just totally, totally off base and, you know, uh, not paying attention to the people that I was meeting at conferences. So that's pretty cool. No, but that's, um, you know, I think I bring a little bit of a diverse perspective in that, you know, I'm coming at it 
game birds have always been the heart of what I, I have loved. Um, and some of the things, the principles, sure, there's some specific things in the ecosystems, but some of the tools are universal in terms of some of the quantitative things and the tools we're going to talk about today. Um, and so, you know, um, and I'm a person who, who likes all of those game birds and all these different types of questions. So, um, but ultimately I wanted to get into waterfowl and, and I've, I've arrived there now that I'm, I'm in the prairie pothole region. So it's good. Well, you've succeeded in that regard. So let's get on into the topic here. And I, I touched on it briefly at the intro, uh, you, uh, and you have as well, that you are, when we look across the field of waterfowl researchers, you know, people in some respects specialize in certain areas. And um, my observations, and you'll kind of help clarify some of this, is that you're, uh, you have developed some proficiency in the use of some new technologies to study waterfowl, certain questions in waterfowl breeding ecology. And, and, and so actually I will say that one of our previous uh, guest, uh, Dr. Rocky Rockwell, uh, was a strong advocate for getting you on on this episode because he was really excited about the work that you're doing for with drones on on the Arctic, and we'll talk about that later. Uh, but yeah, so you have this reputation, whether you wanted it or not, of using some of these cool technologies, and so I know you you've promoted some of those uh, some of that work even through social media. So let's just uh, start out by talking about some of the work involving nest nest cameras and i'll let you i'll kind of ask just a general question here and then i'll let you sort of sort of uh, tell us whatever you want to about this but sort of big picture uh, what what was the motivation for uh, obviously your graduate work on quail you began to learn a lot about the utility of cameras in in uh, understanding certain questions but so expand on that and just talk about how how you brought that into the waterfowl profession, the waterfowl research field, and what are some of the key questions that you are trying to to answer with these nest cameras? And I guess part of that, throwing a lot of questions at you here, is just talk about what were this nest camera research in general. Yeah, so let's start first off, um, what is a nest camera? Um, so there's a lot of people using nest cameras, and they might use that term. Um, I don't use a trail camera. A lot of people think about a camera maybe as a, I don't use trail cameras. I use a miniature surveillance camera. So if you go to the gas station, you look in the corner, there's that little tiny sort of bullet type camera with some LEDs in it um, for, for lighting. Um, that's what I use. And we waterproof them up and we stick them at the nest and we run a cable to a, a DVR box. And in that DVR box, we're recording onto an SD card and we power it by basically a lawn tractor battery. So a 35 amp, 12 volt battery. Um, so that's what we're putting out there. And the idea behind it is that, you know, historically, when we did a lot of observations on nesting ecology, there was somebody sitting out there with um, binoculars looking and watching. But you can't have somebody out there 24-7, and it's hard to do it in the dark. And the presence of a person changes that interaction that might happen in terms of how just ordinary behaviors of the, the hen, so, a, you know, a female duck, what she might do. It changes the chances of who the predators are or how they interact. And so by putting that camera there, we're able to put cameras on lots of nests at the same time. Um, and we can start asking questions about, well, how does that female spend her time? And, you know, some people ask me, well, why is that important? Well, you know, having a camera out there, you can start asking things about, well, if she spends a lot of time getting on and off the nest and she's doing that a whole lot, something's likely wrong because um, she wants to sit there. She wants to hold still. The more activity she has, the more likely she is to attract a predator. Um, and so if a female has to get off more often, say, for foraging reasons, because she hasn't brought enough resources from the wintering grounds, the stopover sites, or even just from the local resources, she's going to have to go and, and forage more often. And you can start to see when, when that happens, 
um, that's when you see birds leaving a lot. And it also usually translates to, to opportunities for increased nest predation um, because she reveals the position of her nest. Um, and that has important implications when we start thinking about, you know, reproductive potential of, of species. So that's one question that, that is kind of a primary driver that got me interested in it. So let me ask you a question on that. I, based on some of my early experience uh, really as a field technician in waterfowl ecology, back then we didn't have the cameras. And so one of the things that, we, that was used most often to measure what's called incubation constancy, basically the frequency or the, how steady or how – you can provide a better definition. But basically what, what's the length of time and the pattern of nest attendance by a female? It had these little – you would take an egg – a fake egg, and then you would insert a thermistor, a little a temperature measurement device in it, and then it would log the change in temperature from that egg, and from that you would be able to determine when the hen was there, when she was not, and see the variation in the temperature in the nest. Are you uh, are y'all using any of those same um, sort of nest temperature data loggers in combination with the nest cameras to kind of, I don't know if you'd say validate, but is there an opportunity to kind of get dual pieces of information that would complement one another from that? So we're not currently. Um, there has been some work done in that area with some comparisons, for sure. Um, we're actually going to put some in in the future here to look at nest temperatures and changes, but I'm more interested actually in temperature changes um, as females get off the nest and the, the cooling rates and what that happens at the, at the nest contents. And we can talk more about that as a, a future direction. But um, the benefits of a camera. So, yep, you can absolutely do some things with thermocouples and, and data loggers and temperature. Um, the benefits, though, you have a camera there, you can get a lot more of a complete story. Um, and so you can start to see different things about what else is happening in that environment. Why did she get off the nest? Um, did she get off the nest because it was a predator or did she get off because it was just a natural recess event? Um, and so there may be some different things um, driving those decisions as to why she's getting off, um, as well as identify if predators come in, who, who is the predator? Um, and so it's just a different way of answering some of that question, um, but it also gives you a little bit more information than you'd get just from temperature. So I would imagine that the the issue of, of um, predation, nest predation, is another uh, another one of the key questions that you that you wanted to answer uh, or seeking to answer with these nest cameras. Is that right? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, we understand that you know predation happens, um, and uh, sometimes one of the interesting questions is, well. Who are the predators, you know, and and what landscape features may be attracting specific ones? Are there certain ones targeting our nest? Um, and that's been one of the most interesting questions that's come out of the work we've done um, out on the Coteau Ranch in central North Dakota um, was with the nest cameras. You know, we, we expected there might be more raccoons, even some skunks. And our primary nest predator is actually badgers out there. Um, and it's, you know, been an interesting component, but we've also seen white-tailed deer um, eat eggs. Um, we've had a, a couple weasels, um, actually just one weasel. And then um, occasionally we have small rodents come in, um, like ground squirrels, and they might take an egg. They don't generally destroy a whole nest. But when an egg suddenly goes missing, one, you know, it's, it's interesting to understand, well, what, who was the predator that did that? How often is that occurring? Um, you know, what are reasons for that? Um, and so that's pretty interesting to understand, you know, just what's happening. The other thing about the predator piece, is that um, sometimes it's easy to tell that a nest um, successfully hatched or not with the, the membranes that are left there. But sometimes it can get a little bit confusing because we're finding blue-winged teal frequently will 
go in and, and do different things with the nest contents. And this is particularly true when um, a predator is there. They oftentimes will, after a predation event, come in and remove eggshells from the nest, which then changes what might have happened at that story. If you don't have anything kind of left, um, you're, you're being able to concretely say what exactly happened um, is limited. And so we're able to validate, okay, you know, if we have these predation events, um, who is the predator or um, for sure what might have even happened? Did it succeed? Did it not? Um, why or why not? You know, I want to go back just a minute to the the deer predation event. I, and we'll talk a little uh, – we'll talk more about this here later on because I want to talk about how you incorporate your students into this research and get them involved. But the, the brief part of this is that you post some of these videos online uh, to, to social media. And I remember one of, the, one of the videos you posted that garnered the most attention, the greatest wow factor, was this video of a deer coming in and eating uh, – I don't remember if it was just a single egg or multiple eggs. But has that, was, that only an, was that an isolated incident or have you seen more instances of that? So we've, um, we've seen two different times where we had deer come into the nest, but only once did it um, actually eat the eggs. Um, however, my PhD work, we actually had a couple of deer, um, eat quail eggs. And, um, so it's not necessarily something that's unheard of. Um, it's not something that's common though. A lot of people are like, oh my gosh, if you have overabundant white-tailed deer populations in some other areas on birds, they're going to wipe out birds. But we know there's also been grassland songbird things where we've, um, it's been documented because of cameras. You know, we're seeing these incidental predation events, we'll call them. Um, it doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. And, you know, you think about it, an egg is power packed with all kinds of goodies. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of protein in there, some calcium, and those things are really beneficial to a lot of different animal species. Um, but it's not like a whitetail is out there actively seeking eggs and nests. It's something they stumble upon and, and certainly, you know, just give it a taste. So we've only really had that happen the one time, um, but certainly an interesting observation. Now, in that instance, did the deer eat all of the eggs or just one or two? Yeah, that one did eat um, most all. I can't remember if it was all of them, but it was most of the nest for sure. Those nasty deer. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I say that jokingly. I'm a big fan of deer. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. 
The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation, take it outside. Let's see. All right, we talked about some of the egg predation here. Did you capture any uh, female mortality events like of a fox or badger, raccoon or skunk or anything of that nature, capturing the and killing the hen on the nest? So we've not seen any mammals actually capture any females on the nest. Um, we have had raptors come in and um, be either really close and you see some feathers go. Um, and I think we've only had one and you couldn't quite confirm it except for the fact that the hen never came back. Um, to the nest. But um, raptors actually were the, the one that we've seen a little bit more actually going after the, the birds and getting closer. Uh, most of the mammal predation, the birds flush before the mammal gets there and, um, and she's, she's safe. Now, the raptors, uh, the primary culprit, would that be red tail or are we talking about great horned owls? What's the, are, you, are you able to capture that on the camera? We actually couldn't tell we very well. It was um, not a very good image um, or video quality because the, the feet kind of came in and you could catch that there was um, the, the feet there, but we didn't get a good um, identity on that um, particular one. I think there was suspected harrier on at least one of them. Um, I think we've had, we've had Swainson hawks, I know, come in and try for even um, sharp-tailed grouse on another project I've done. Um, but it's, it's kind of hard to tell because you have a limited field of view. Um, is the full identity. So how many of these cameras do you have out? Uh, I guess a couple of questions here. How many years have you been doing this and, and how many cameras do you kind of have out during an average year? Yeah, so we started this in 2015 um, where we put it, these cameras out on duck nests. And um, and at the time, we were just working on the DU's Coteau Ranch. And since then, we've expanded and we now do this project on both DU's Coteau Ranch and then the adjacent ranch that the Nature Conservancy owns, the Davis Ranch, um, in central North Dakota. And uh, ultimately, we have about 40-some camera systems. Um, and each year, we get about 40 to 50-some to nests each summer um, that we're able to put cameras out. Um, I'm starting to repurpose some other cameras that I had on other projects that are no longer still going to um, go out there and see if we can increase it just a little bit more across the two sites. Um, but generally speaking, each year, annually, um, we've been collecting about 40 to 50 um, nests that we've cameraed. And do these cameras run continuously or is there is there some yep. – wow, that's got to be a ton of imagery. And so I, they'll collect uh, – they have uh, night vision capabilities. I say night vision. They're able to film in, uh, basically at night as well? Correct. So they are running 24-7 um, and we have – there's little LEDs on them that are – hopefully we um, – they're in a, a spectrum uh, – um, wavelength that isn't visible to others so you wouldn't actually see them like lit up it's not like it's this bright thing and some of the trail cameras people might be familiar with you know have these um wavelengths so that it doesn't really light up but it's allowed to light up so that you can actually see um we just can't visibly see the lights turned on um so it collects imagery or video um 24 7 um from the start we typically do them deploy them right after the bird starts incubating because um, sometimes we find nests when they're still in the laying stage and we don't put anything out there till they're, they're incubating. Um, once they're incubating, it goes until they either hatch or a predator eats them. And then we take the camera down. And if there's still active nests, we move it to another nest um, and try to keep as many cameras going at one time. Um, we have hundreds of thousands of video hours 
um, which is cool, um, but it's also an overwhelming data problem. Um, right now, though, that, that's where we'll bring in students and talk about those. This project was actually started um, primarily on an interest between myself and um, a couple of DU's biologists at the, out of the Great Plains office, Kaylin Kimmick and, and Tanner Yu, who we were talking about how do we get students more prepared for going out and being wildlife professionals? Um, you know, and Kaylin and Tanner were really interested in how Ducks Unlimited could play a role in that process. And so um, we came up with this really cool internship um, experience where initially we just had two students who started it and didn't really have maybe an extensive background in um, research experience or field experience um, and brought them out to the ranch, taught them how to locate nests, you know, using ATVs and um, a ch chain between them, um, do all the different things, aging the, the clutch, um, you know, GPS, some basic vegetation measurements, and then install these cameras. And the project was so successful the first year we like I said, we expanded it, and we now have four students who help us each summer, um, two of them to the Davis Ranch and two of them on the Coteau Ranch, and we look for nests. Um, and the students then take that data that we get, and it's because of their, um, their diligence and their hard work. Um, we actually get through most of the videos by the end of the summer um, or into the early fall um, to at least identify who the predators are, what the fate are, and then we also try to look for when the, the female is coming and going from the nest um, to assess that part of the story. And so thanks to a team of tremendous undergrads that we've had now um, over the past five, six years, um, we've been able to, you know, keep keep up with the data and, and you know, learn some pretty cool things. Now, do you do you the students automate any of that uh, video searching? Have you, have you explored any of that uh, or is this they just kind of put it on two or three times normal speed and just sit there and watch the screen for hour after hour? Yeah. So I've done some collaborations with um, computer science. Originally, my colleague was here at UND and he, he's now at Rochester Institute of Technology, Travis DeSell. Um, we've explored some automation um, process. With birds that are nesting out in the open, like piping plovers or least terns, we've had quite a bit of success at being able to, to pull that information out. But some of these cryptic colored birds that nest and really blend into their surroundings, it's a lot harder to automate that process. And so for the most part, a lot of it, it's taking a lot more training data. In other words, a lot of information to say, you know, birds doing this or that in the video. Um, and so we still predominantly done all of our duck work um, with students sitting there watching for hours on end um, to, to get through that. But we have steps in place that we've been working on the automation. I want to go back just a second here and talk about um, how you find the nest. And you reference this whenever you're, you're talking about getting the students out there and teaching them how to, uh, how to chain drag to search for nests using a chain attached between two ATVs. I remember that was the uh, one of my first experiences in this profession, I was a student field or a summer field technician for Delta Waterfowl, and I got to do that as well. And I thought it was the absolute coolest thing. I get to ride a four-wheeler, look behind me and watch the watch this chain as it's coming over the grass and watch for a duck that flushes up. And so uh, so that's how you locate these nests uh, that I want to just make sure we reference that because people may be kind of wondering, well, how do you know where the nest is in order to actually ever put the camera out and uh, so you are doing these uh, chain drags which is as, as you've described there uh, and that's how you find the nest and then, so one question i have related to that are you targeting any specific species of duck in those uh, for these studies for the nest camera deployments or is it are you 
um, putting them out for a variety of species? Yeah, great question. So we started off focused on blue-winged teal because they're the most common um, duck nesting on our, our study sites here in central North Dakota. Um, and then we've expanded to mallards um, by about the third year of the project. And now we are targeting gadwall as well. And so over the years, um, we've shifted a little bit of the priorities in terms of which species it is. But for the most part, it's blue-winged teal, uh, mallard, and, and gadwall that we've been focused on. Very cool. But we obviously mark and monitor from without the cameras um, everything that we find along the way, so all the ducks. Yeah, very cool. And I think it's fantastic that y'all are able to engage uh, undergraduates. I'm guessing these are undergraduate students, right, that you're talking about they're involved? Correct. Okay. I mean, that's fantastic that you're able to engage them and get them involved. And, and I, because I know personally, and I'm sure most, most people in this profession can speak to this as well, I know how big of an influence that had on me, how, how large of an impact in sort of shaping what I began to realize I wanted to do professionally. And so I think that's that's incredible and that's fantastic that uh, that y'all are able to do that and you've been successful with it. So thanks for doing that. Yeah. And I'm incredibly excited to be able to, to be a part of that. One of my biggest passions in right now is, is really mentoring that next generation. And I can't thank Ducks Unlimited enough for being a part of helping me facilitate that. Um, I think it's been a really cool collaboration in, in getting students out there, gaining those um, those tools and skills to be successful at understanding duck ecology, um, you know, from the ground up. Just a few more questions here, and then we're going to wrap up this episode. Uh, related to the students' involvement, I know they have a, uh, a social media site or um, presence. Tell us a little bit about that so any of our listeners can go check that out if they wanted to. Absolutely. So um, a few years back, I guess now three years ago, um, I, we started collaborating with um, the communications department um, to expand. One of the things that we wanted our students to be able to, to do a little bit better was to communicate with the general public um, about what was happening and what they were learning um, about ducks and duck ecology and grasslands and wetlands. And so we started a, um, a social media account that was initially just Facebook and Twitter, and now we have an Instagram um, called Real Ducktails. And um, the Real DuckTales group is um, basically we post things that we find that are interesting or um, cool facts throughout the summer. Most of our posts happen during the summertime when we have students, you know, actively out on the site, um, though we do have some sporadic ones throughout the, the academic year. Um, but each year we've been doing that. And, you know, so we share the videos. If there's a highlight video that's pretty neat, we try to share it, tell a little bit about what's happening, um, try to help people recognize here's when you know, we're starting to have our first ducks hatching. And then we also like to tell a little bit about our students that are out doing this, you know, who, who are the next generation that are going to be um, mining the marsh is, you know, one of the phrases we hear uh, a few different groups talking about, but who are they that are going to be out there, you know, um, watching the waterfowl for the next, next several generations of, um, you know, of conservation there. And so, um, so we've been doing that and we've also been evaluating sort of how effective that is in partnership with, um, uh, uh, my collaborator at a Southeastern Missouri State University, uh, Sarah Cavanaugh. And so um, we also survey people um, relative to what they um, are experiencing. So we get our followers to tell us a little bit about what they're learning, as well as people who have never followed us. And we compare um, what we're, you know, what, what are their understanding of predators and um, nesting ecology and just the prairies in general. Um, so that's been pretty cool. It's a very interesting and fun experience. And like I said, it gains um, it, it gives the students an, another skill set um, beyond just the, 
the hardcore, hardcore, you know, wildlife ecology pieces of it and waterfowl ecology that also helps them with their communication skills. The Twitter handle that you reference for that group is Real is uh, Real Ducktails. But I, I correct me on this if I'm wrong. I, I looked it up the other day, and I think it's it's uh, at Real Duck Tails T A I L S. Do I have that right? Correct. Okay. You do. I, I searched for it. I searched for it originally, and and I can't remember how I spelled tails, but I think you know Donald and Daffy and some of those other <laughs> Twitter profiles came up. I'm like, that's not the one that I'm looking for. So, no, and that's a great thing to to mention. Yeah, it's real duck tails, which is T A I L S, like the tail itself of what the duck has. So, yep. So go check that out, folks. It's it's uh, pretty cool, and and I guess uh, you'll be continuing to do that this summer once things get rolling. And that's always a pretty neat thing to uh, neat account to follow. Uh, one last thing, uh, tell us a, just a bit about the partners. Uh, Want to give credit for some of the folks that are working supporting on this research, supporting this research. Yeah. So um, a lot of this work, it, obviously, Ducks Unlimited um, is the core partner on this. Um, I mentioned that. Uh, the Nature Conservancy, we work on their land, and so they're a key and critical partner as well. Um, I mentioned my collaborator at Southeastern Missouri State University, Sarah Cavanaugh, in the communications piece. Um, we've also had some support from U.S. Geological Survey in terms of equipment, um, ATVs, uh, as well as help doing um, some of our predatory evaluations and um, scoring nests and doing some comparisons of stuff we didn't really talk a whole lot about, but some of the other predator ecology questions we've been asking. Um, and then I really want to acknowledge um, a big thank you to the UND College of Arts and Sciences. Um, for the last several years, they've been a critical player in um, providing some funding also for supplies for undergraduate research that helps facilitate things. Um, we've also had a, a variety of other different um, funding from like EcoEd uh, Footprint, um, which is um, from Enbridge, uh, that's funded and supported our cameras. Uh, we've had a, a little Myra Foundation grant to help us support our social media. And then the North Dakota Resource Trust has been also one that's helped us support our science communication and outreach arm of things. So there's a lot of players that have been instrumental in this. Um, we certainly couldn't um, couldn't do any of this without them. It's pretty rare for, for us to have a research project that has just one or two collaborators. That's usually the way these things uh, unfold and the way they have to be developed is just a consortium of partners. And so we, in our profession, talk so much about partnerships, but it's it's not just lip service. It is really how we operate, and the list of partners that you referenced there is just emblematic of that. So thanks so much for, for sharing all this. Susan, thank you for joining us. This has been great information, and again, encourage folks to, ch- to uh, look up that Twitter account and check out some of the work that's going on this summer. And I know we have some other topics that we want to talk to you about, so we look forward to getting you back on to discuss those other topics. But uh, for this episode, we thank you so much for joining us, Susan. Yes, thank you for having me. A special thanks to our guest on today's show, a good friend and partner, Dr. Susan ellis Feligi, Associate Professor of Wildlife Ecology and Management at the University of North Dakota. We really appreciate her sharing her time and expertise on Nest Cameras on this episode. We always uh, thank our producer, Clay Baird, for the great work that he does uh, in getting these podcasts edited and out to you, our listeners. And the most important part of this enterprise, our listeners, we thank you for your time. We thank you for your passion and commitment to wetlands and waterfowl conservation.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside.